0: Welcome to Cultivate with Chelsea. The podcast that supports perinatal women and navigating life postpartum. I'm your host and new mama friend, Chelsea Barbine. Here to talk about all the things they don't tell you to expect after you're expecting. Alright mama, your time is more valuable than ever now, so let's dive in. It's time to cultivate. You are early. <laughs> I'm early. <laughs> i feel like you know it's gonna be a good day when you're of schedule
1: yep yep literally i knew i'm like i'm actually gonna be early for things today i'm gonna be on time for school drop-off i'm not gonna miss the bus for my other kid i'm gonna get the baby to nap so this can happen so feeling good vibes
0: oh my god oh my goodness um (laughs) Well, I just want to say thank you and thank you. major shout out for going into the day with that perspective. Yep. I know it's so challenging to, to do that, honestly. It's rough. Yes, especially,
1: yes. We, I am thankful to you for being flexible because I obviously have to cancel frequently when my kids are sick, which has been the last probably six weeks of my life of just... As soon as they're better, they come home with a fresh set of germs. And I'm like, here we go. Everyone's absent, including mommy.
0: (laughs) You know, we are on, we're on our second round of pink eye in three weeks. Yeah. So guess what? Like, it's, I I get it. I, I really do. And I just feel like, uh, the more into motherhood I get, the more I realize the importance of having people who are going through it with you because yeah. they understand. It's like this unspoken, like, okay, like we roll with it. Right. You know, there's just so much that is truly out of our control. Um, but I do believe that the way that we start our day, right? And that like perspective that we go into it is within our control. We have you know the option to choose whether we're gonna react or whether we're gonna respond. And Noel, you fucking responded this morning. So shout <laughs> out to you. Thank you. Most days there's a reaction.
1: <laughs> but today I chose differently. And I said today I am going to not react to things. I am not gonna get flustered. I am not gonna be screaming mommy. I'm gonna be calm, cool, collected, normal me (laughs) so I can, you know, accomplish my own goals because I really wanted to do this today.
0: Well, thank you. i was so looking forward to it. I really really was. And before we do like an official welcome back and we dive in, I just want to like acknowledge something really quick because this has been really touching for me with the reaction versus a response. I feel like it's been something I've really been struggling with lately is I I'm gravitating more towards that react. And it's something that I, I really try to be so cognizant not to do because I know it's not good for me and it's not great for Frankie and it's not great for Colin either. Let's be real. right? And that really just like shifts the energy for the rest of the day and how I show up. And it gets harder and harder to shift away from that as the days go on. And I feel yeah. like During the times, which again, every day is challenging in its own way. And it's also beautiful in its own way. So like, I don't want to, you know, come at this like negative, but like the, the weeks or the day, (laughs) it sounds awful. The weeks of which Frankie's sick, it feels like it's been weeks, right? Not nearly six weeks. Well, I want to just own, we're in very different positions right now, but like the days in which she's not feeling well, or we have to give some sort of like drops or medicate, like whatever. It just It makes it so much more challenging to respond. And I really think it's because there's this additional, like, desire or, yeah, desire for me to, like, give and give and give extra for her to help me make her feel better, which then in turns, I can't give that bit to myself. Or if that other piece goes to Colin normally, well, then, like, I then need to take again away from me to give to, and it's just like, no freaking wonder it's stressful for us as moms when our kids are sick because it's so much harder to make time for ourselves anyways that's like a whole nother conversation yeah happy Um, to talk about that anytime
1: (laughs) because I have lots and lots of feedback from for that as I've been there uh, times three now um it's very stressful and um it's very hard, and I was just talking to our other friend, Catherine, who's one of my favorite go-to resources when my kids are not feeling well. Even though I myself am a nurse, she's a nurse practitioner. She'd actually be great to interview. Just thought of that. I was just
0: gonna say, oh my god, and I really he's, should have. Yeah, she's he's my person
1: that I call when I um, just want a, another mom who's been in the same boat, but I don't really want to call the pediatrician for everything. I'm like, let me just talk to you and see if I need to, you know, react or respond here. And she's always a great source of advice and calms me down because her favorite line is always like, you can't give from an empty cup. Like if you are constantly taking care of others, which we are as nurses, we are as moms, there's not a lot left for other people, Mm -hmm. let alone ourselves. So that's something I also have to really be mindful because when I don't take care of me, I do not show up well. To anything. Mm-hmm. My energy is so different. I just isolate and I get very um, negative and I'm reactive and I'm not as friendly or, you know, um, gentle in my parenting. <laughs> I'm a lot more how I was raised, which was very different. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really hard because you're in that exhaustion phase. You're in fight or flight. You're just trying to get through the day and keep your baby healthy. And it's really hard. Cause then once they start to feel better is when mommy starts to feel like not so good. Cause you're like, okay, I I fixed the baby. And then you're like, I haven't slept in a week. Now I don't feel good. Now who's going to take care of me? You know?
0: Wow. 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 So many (laughs) thoughts. And I'm just sitting here and I'm like, if I can be totally honest, guys, it's working. Like literally, as you're saying this, right, I'm thinking to myself, this is exactly what I set out to do, not only with the podcast, but also in my offerings through Core Care Cultivate. Like truthfully, I, the more time that I've like really sat with this and the more moms that I've spoken with and the more practitioners that I'm around and I'm collaborating with, and it's just like, (sighs) this space right here, this podcast space is just so freaking sacred because I feel like this is a space where moms can come and listen, and they're like, "Holy shit, I'm not alone. I'm feeling that way. Someone else is going through it." And then perhaps even finding tips, right, or like reassurance that like I'm gonna get through this. Because at the end of the right. day, I do believe that we all do, right? And we're not in it alone. Right? And um, there are things that we can take that has either worked or hasn't worked from other people to help us right. Navigate through these, these very similar challenges. And it's also the preparation and just like the bringing of awareness for those who are expecting, because I really do believe if we can support expecting moms, especially Mm -hmm. the first time expecting moms with this, uh, my goodness, just honestly more talk and more openness about what postpartum is like, then they can better care for themselves while caring for their newborns. Because I feel like what we hear more often than not, and Noelle, you're hitting on this and so am I in my own way and like saying like, as a mom, we give and we give and we give and we give and somewhat to a fault of compromising our ourselves. Yeah. And I think that is truly the pitfall, so to speak, of the early weeks postpartum. And I'm like, so excited that this is how we're actually starting this conversation. Because guys, if you're joining us, first of all, Welcome and welcome back, Noelle Curtis, because we're going to actually have the conversation that we set out to have the last time that you and I were trying to record together. Um, you know, the first episode, if you listened, Noelle shared her beautiful um, birth story the C-section with her first. And I think we both were brought to tears to some level of right yeah. now had realized that that was really the first time that she had ever shared that first story with anyone besides her husband who was there yeah. <laughs> and also like <laughs> he was in it yes but also like as you shared he's a cop and he's seen a lot wait he's def he's not just a cop he is a cop but like what is his title again
1: he is now a a police lieutenant. So he's pretty up there. He's working his way up the ladder. Yes. He's okay. Okay. He's a boss. Yes.
0: Yeah. I want to give credit where credit's (laughs) due. And also to you (laughs) as his wife to support him through that. And for anyone who's listening who either is a cop or is married to a cop, please know I'm not saying just a cop. I'm very appreciative for everything (laughs) that they do. That is not the life for me. Um, But again, I do understand that there is, um, there are different levels and different with with levels and responsibility comes a lot we got a lot of responsibility so I wanted to make sure I hit that correctly um anyways (laughs) he has seen a lot so to speak and so I think there's a little sense of like desensitizing to to, although you being his wife it's a very different experience no he actually
1: it yeah like I had I I, just in thinking back he was unfazed by all the layers being um Opened basically, yeah, <laughs> seven yeah. years of flesh. She was like, okay, just another day, like right, unfazed. And I'm I'm behind the curtain, like what's happening,
0: <laughs> right, right, yes. Um, so that was our our first conversation, which was really beautiful, and I would never change it because I hope that that left you feeling extremely empowered and nourished after sharing that story. I know I was touched, and there are some women that I've spoken to, even since who have had um unexpected c-sections I don't want to call them emergencies because that's right. not necessarily the case they were right. unexpected and they were like oh my god that's so cool like no I didn't know what I was going in for and again yeah. even myself like right. I was not prepared should I have needed a c-section but should that be my fate you know for baby number two god willing like I will be yeah. like well noelle told me about this right So, at <laughs> anyways I have some idea yeah some idea um so what I'm really hoping to get to today is really um the recovery aspect of C-section because I've recorded my own little tidbit of what I recall from delivery to recovery room because again I like laugh every time I say this. I have attended two births before my experiencing my own daughter's birth. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh my god, I didn't tell you oh, that? No. Yeah, no, very cool. Yeah. The first was um, my youngest sister. I was 15, about to be 16. I swear my mother was very wise, the best birth control she ever could have instilled in me. Um, So there was that. And then I was there for my first nephew's birth uh, with my sister, which was absolutely beautiful. Um, And I just remember looking at my sister and just being like, you are the strongest person. Like I know, like Ah, oh, my goodness. And even for her, like her delivery didn't go as she had hoped. She went in very early. She was 36 weeks. Um, he stayed in the NICU for a little bit of time. Um, I don't recall if they actually went home before bringing him home. Part of me thinks I'd have to actually check with her on that. Cause that would be pretty interesting to chat with her about, but, yeah. um, anyways, very I know that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, not really planned for. But I think that there is this this layer, right? If I could speak to my experience from a vaginal delivery, and but I have no understanding of really what transpires after delivery following a C-section. And even not only like those first couple of days, but really like emphasizing the return home. Um, I actually think we chatted a little bit on our last conversation about that discharge point, right? Because I remember that being one of the final. we were talking about like what you were eating and things like that. Um, I would love to really dive in about what it looks like getting home following a C-section. And I think this whole piece that we've already touched on a little bit right now is like this challenge to receive and to almost be mothered as we are becoming a mother for the first time ourselves, which makes me have goosebumps, honestly, just thinking about, um, and with the C-section, my understanding is the need or the encouragement to slow down, to receive that care is even, is even greater. And I know you can speak to you know a C-section with a toddler and a C-section with two toddlers, but let's, <laughs> uh, but let's focus on the first one, just because I think that would probably be most relatable for a lot of listeners right now. And then pending time, we can give like a little preview for those mamas of multiples. That, yes. Yeah. So tell us, um, Noelle, how was that? So first thing
1: I wanted to say was something you mentioned earlier about, you know, like what to expect when you're expecting, I feel like it sounds silly, but when you're an expecting mother, like I feel that it is um, so important to rely on the women around you to help you set those expectations, but not everyone has a tribe. So Mm. that Mm. I think is something I really want to... um, focus on when thinking about coming home, because as a first-time mom, you may or may not have support. You may have a spouse um, or a partner, and you may really only have that person. Some people have lots of family nearby. Some people have lots of friends nearby. It just um, really can affect the going home, because going home, you don't know if you're going home to an empty home, to a home mm. that has people there to receive you, to mother you. I really think that that is an important distinction. I'll speak to my own experience of just when I came home the first time and um, knowing, I hate to compare. I really don't think that comparison is great for motherhood. I really try to stay away from it because um, you don't know what someone else is going through. And while it may seem like they have more resources than you do, or may have more family or may have more support, they may be struggling with other things that are unseen. So mm-hmm. for my personal experience, um, as a first time mom, um, I, and this is going back cause I have to think back from each kid going back to oh. Patty, who was my first baby. Um, like I said, I did have a C-section. It was, um, planned towards the end. So it wasn't like I had the nine months of preparing for it. It was only really like a, the week of, I knew. So in that, at that point, thinking about what I could have ready at home, I didn't have time to sort of Amazon everything, you know, to set up my home for success. So I kind of just hoped and prayed that the hospital would give me whatever I needed for the immediate Mm. postpartum period to recover safely and with the supplies I needed and if there was anything else I could just probably ask my husband to go out and get it because we only had the one baby at the time. So going home that first drive is super bumpy and Mm -hmm. regardless of where you live I would highly encourage you to bring a pillow for the ride because you're going to want to splint your incision while you're sitting in the passenger seat because If you have a long drive from the hospital, if you have a short drive, regardless, you don't realize how much your body moves when you're driving. And after a major abdominal surgery, all of that area is very sore. And while they can give you some pain medication prior to the ride home, and I would encourage you to take a little something. Again, this is not medical advice. This is just me speaking from my experience. Obviously, ask your provider. Um, but they generally speaking on discharge will offer you, do you want to take a little something before you go just to make the ride easier, take the edge off because it's a lot of movement and you've previously been in your hospital bed for maybe two to four nights, not really moving a lot, not really ambulating as much. This is like getting into and out of a car. If you have an SUV, a minivan, a, a smaller car, like you're going to have to get up or get down and that movement can be very intense and it seems so subtle you're just so excited to get in the doors of your home but that ride is really key um also for safety you want to make sure that there's nothing around your legs because you want to be able to freely move your legs you want to be able to prevent anything like blood clots or um Things like that. Think of like when you're flying, um, because again, you did just have major surgery. You want to make sure that you can stretch your legs, kind of give yourself the space you need. Don't put your bag near your feet, which we sometimes do. Keep everything in your bag. I do it too. It's very diaper
0: bag is literally on my lap every single car ride. And Colin's like, "We have an SUV. What are you doing?" I'm like, "It's fine." (laughs) And I would say because again, now you have a baby coming
1: home with you, not just you two. There's a person back there. Um, (laughs) some moms like to sit in the back seat with the baby on the way home, the vaginal delivery moms, I would say C-section mamas, that is really not the safest, best option I would recommend. I would definitely sit in the front to protect Mm -hmm. yourself, to give yourself space, to create a boundary so that you can protect your surgical incision and, um, the baby will be fine. The baby... (laughs) As long as your car seat is installed correctly, feel free also to go to your local police department or fire department. They can always check your car seat for you. Um, Different if you have a NICU baby, that's a whole nother conversation. They they can check your car seat for you there. I always like to say that. Um, But your baby will be fine. They are rear-facing. They're locked and loaded in their little baby car seat. Just make sure that they're... uh, The uh, nipple line is where the the car seat um, clip is and you're good to go. Um, Keep, obviously, your bag behind you. That has all the stuff you need for the baby. But for you, really, you won't really need too much during that ride except having water handy, having that pillow and making sure there's nothing near your feet. You just want to be comfortable. You want to stay hydrated. And hopefully you did take a little something to comfort you for the ride. Once you get home... I really hope that um, you have an easy way to get in the door. It depends. If you live in the city, you may be in a four-floor walk-up. If you live in the country, you may have, like, a dirt road you got to go down. If you live in the suburbs, like, think about it. It just depends on your situation. So it's hard for me to give, like, a broad stroke piece of advice about how to exit the vehicle But generally speaking, let somebody help you out of the car. Please know that lifting your body requires your core muscles. As you know, as a obviously fitness instructor, you you do not realize how much you use your abdomen and your torso and all those core muscles in everything you do. Getting in and out of a vehicle, sitting down on a toilet, getting in and Mm -hmm. out of the bed, getting in and out of the chair laying down, getting back up, trying to bend down and reach something, all of your daily like, activities of daily living involve using those abdominal muscles and you want to be super mindful not to overdo it. Typically, they give what I would like to say is a guideline for how much you can lift. You really don't want to lift more than the weight of your baby. So say you had an almost 10-pound baby, which is my case. He was nine pounds, nine ounces. Yeah. And he was not the biggest baby. He was not the biggest. He was just the medium one.
0: I almost <laughs> just spit my coffee everywhere. Here's oh, my, my medium God.
1: sized Irish baby with a big, big head. Um <laughs> I
0: feel like you're like ordering like fries. Can I have the
1: medium size or I shouldn't medium size the coffee? Ginger baby, yeah. <laughs> um So he was as much as I could lift and he was almost 10 pounds, which is a decent weight to lift. So that was it. They said anything more than that, you're not doing it for two weeks. You're not allowed to drive for two Mm. weeks. You cannot be behind the (laughs) steering wheel because God forbid the airbag deployed. If you were ever in an accident that could really do damage to your abdominal incision and cause a whole nother slew of issues. So no driving, no heavy lifting. Um, Those are sort of like the restrictions. Obviously, there's other restrictions, which I think are like obvious, but maybe not to people. Um, You're not allowed to do any sort of physical fitness, no sexual activity. Not that I could ever imagine anyone having the desire in the most, you know, two week postpartum period to do either of those things. I do like to say it to all my patients,
0: (laughs) but like I think that's super valid because guys, I'm just gonna go here. Like not having the baby vaginally, like I would be like, oh, like I thought that that's why you can't have sex after having a baby. Like, yeah, for my sake, there is no way I could even imagine after what I went through, desiring that like right away. Like what? Even as much as you guys, you see your partner, husband, right? Like holding this beautiful creation that you made together and there you just and it's just like oh my god I love you You just like there is this unknown level until of love until you experience that at least for my case yeah but I also wasn't like god I want to jump your bones right now like no I thought Frankie (laughs) was gonna be the only child okay (laughs) until after like the first couple weeks
1: yes that both of both of those feelings can happen simultaneously like (laughs) I love you so much. I am absolutely in awe of you being a dad and that we did this yeah. together, but I, that's not happening right now. Cause I'm like, I'm, scarred. I'm quite literally scarred. I have a literal scar and there's may or may not be staples. So, <laughs> oh my God. So um, but that, speaking yeah. of which, I'm glad we talked about that because <laughs> there are two different types of surgical approaches um, after a C-section. And one is more old school, I would say, that is the staple. So that's like what we call the Frankenstein method. Um, they staple to close. That is important to note. There is a difference in your healing. The new way of doing things is called strips, And those are basically like dissolvable little pieces of tape. There's like, maybe like eight of them. It's depending on the size of your, the width of your body depends on the area of how much they, you know, cut. So generally the incision
0: tape, like tape, like I'm picturing (laughs) scotch tape right now,
1: surgical tape. It almost looks like, um, I have to, I I feel like I need a visual. I don't have it, but they're little, they're little tiny pieces of very strong fibrous tape and they go. They close. Obviously, they close inside with like dissolvable stitches on the inside.
0: Oh, on okay, the outside, okay, On the <laughs> it's outside, like, wait a minute. of the world.
1: On the outside, they have to keep it physically tight. So yes. they have these little tapes. Okay. And they will curl up and dry and fall off on their own.
0: <laughs> and I'm can- sorry. I really just thought that we were talking about like just tape on the outside. Thank yep. you for saying. <laughs> Sorry. Kind of still are yeah. stitches
1: I don't realize sometimes like what things are obvious or not <laughs> in my head because it's my job yeah, but no, sometimes you're good. you have to go there <laughs> um, yes yeah, so not scotch tape surgical tape um, they are really cool and if they do fall off on their own that's fine you can shower with them they can get wet but you're not going to want to cause any friction in that area so no scrubbing no loofah just just let the water run down the soapy water run down when you have the energy to take a shower try to just let it run down and don't rub the area pat dry with your towel that's huge um because skincare like we always think oh well I mean personally I used to do all the things like moisturize and loofah and uh, you know you have these luxurious showers when you don't have children after you have a baby, your showers are not always the most exciting. It's more off of a function than an thing you enjoy. So just try to like get in the shower maybe once every other day if you can, because I know it's hard to get in every day. When you have a newborn, especially if you're breastfeeding, you're trying to figure all that out, which I'll touch on in a minute. but just try to get in the shower to just keep the area clean and dry. Um, You don't want to put any moisture, any fragrance, any harsh chemicals, any topical ointments on there. You're not applying bacitracin. They do not want anything there. You're obviously going to listen to your doctor's instructions, but in my personal experience, I've never seen anyone put any ointments there. If you're starting to notice like weird discharge coming out or a foul-smelling odor, um, if you're getting a fever, these are usually things that your doctor would tell you when you're discharged to look out for, those would be signs of wanting to notify your provider. They're going to want to know if there's any signs of infection. So that's a big disclaimer. I like to say foul smelling odor, you know, greenish like pus coming out of a wound, anything like that. I know it's gross. Sorry, I'm going there. But That's really key for a lot of moms because they may not know that that's not normal. They may think, I just had surgery. It looks like it's healing. Maybe it just smells funny. Maybe that's normal. It's it's not. There should be no odor. There should be nothing coming out. It's okay if there's like little tiny specks of blood, they usually say. But if you're having like actual blood, like pouring out, oozing out, you want to notify your provider and they'll tell you what to do. Okay, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, um, I would say as far as setting expectations of how to like make it the best experience possible, um, obviously, if you have resources available, if you have family that want to help, that have asked you while you're pregnant, what can I do when you're postpartum? Do you want me to be there? Do you want help those first two weeks while you're recovering from surgery and you have a new human that you're responsible for? Or do you want me to just drop off food or maybe just um, come over for an hour a day? Like you have the ability to, as a mother, ask for help. And I would encourage you as a new mom, as excited as you are to figure it out on your own, if people are willing to help you, there's a way to accept it where you both feel good about it. Does that make sense? Because, right.
0: <laughs> I like got goosebumps hearing you say where you both feel good about it. And I think that's something huge for me, you know, and I speak to support as I believe a pillar of wellness, right. That, that receiving um from others is you want it to really, to feel nourishing. it At the end of the day, it is an energetic exchange. And if you as the receiver are hesitant or, you know what I mean, like really at uh, you have any sort of like sense or um, nervousness that the energy coming in is, is not a match for you just because it's support doesn't mean that it is the support that you need, nor should you be receiving. Yep. So Noelle, I love how you, how you touched on that. Um, because I think that that's super important. It's like. I don't know. Yeah. There's so so many people out there in the world, whether they are relation, whether they are acquaintances, whether like your neighbors, whatever, there are so many people out there in the world who one have either lived it or two have been inspired by knowing another mom that they would they're more than willing to help a new mom. Like I remember even this is so random and I don't want to go off on a tangent here. Cause I really love the focus that we have. Um, but quickly, just as an example, I was traveling for my best friend's bachelorette and on the way home, there was a mom of two and she, you know, was entertaining both of the kids, and I was like, kept looking up, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't wait to see Frankie when I get home. Like it, again, I had been with her in a few days; it's my first time away. I was just, like, oh my god, and I was so close to like getting up just to like let her know that if she needed anything, to please let me know. And I didn't want to be creepy because, you know, yeah. again, you also want to be mindful of that. <laughs> um, but right as I was about to do that, another woman had walked up and was just kind of like something had happened where like they were chatting, or maybe she was talking with like a um one of the travel attendants or agents, whatever. And um, she ended up starting to talk with this other mom and she just started like naturally helping her. And I overheard the, again, I was trying not to be creepy guys, but I couldn't help myself. I felt invested with these children. (laughs) Um, The woman had told the mom that she has always shared with her children or reminded them or encouraged them if they saw another mom to offer support, because that's really like, that's just what you do. Because at the end of the day, she would hope that another mom would offer support for her children. And I was like, God, that's so beautiful. (laughs) Anyways, I think that there is that, truthfully, that generosity. Um, And there's also two approaches in which you can hire support. And I know that while that might feel kind of icky, or again, I know that it can be um, an investment. I feel at the end of the day, it is just as you make the choice to invest in a different selection of food, Or you invest in a trainer or a membership or what a massage, what have you it is an investment in your overall well being. And I just want to like help remove the stigma that comes with hiring help, whether that is a doula, whether that is a lactation consultant, whether that is a chiropractor, whether that is a massage therapist, whether that is a house cleaner, someone to do your laundry, dear goodness, just please be open to receive. I digress. Noelle, please. (laughs) <laughs> no, I love
1: that. And I do think in hindsight, after doing this a couple of times, few times, couple, whatever, um, that, <laughs> <laughs> that um, it's night. there's a big distinction with help. Um, with family support comes expectations, comes preconceived belief systems and values of how they did things and how they wanted to be treated or how their babies were and comparison. And sometimes when you are a brand new, fresh baby mom, you do not want to hear about how so-and-so raised their kids or how they fed their baby, how they put their baby to sleep, how they don't even understand what a C-section is because that didn't ex- ex- exist back in their day. Maybe not the best choice of person to have in your home. Those first few very hormonal, very sensitive weeks where you are already so tired, so harsh on yourself, so limited in what you have left to give. You do not need anybody who's critical or overly opinionated without you asking for advice. You know, the unsolicited advice that comes sometimes with family Um, Because they just don't know what else to say. Sometimes that's not the best option. And I like what you said about hiring out support to people who are intuitive, who are caring, who are experienced, who are literally there to make the best experience for you possible. And it's a one-sided thing. It's not mutual. With family support, you feel like you have to entertain them. You have to host them. You feel like you have to have coffee made for them that's really not your job. And if a family member coming expects any of that, I really don't think that's the best choice for you in that immediate period. And we can get into the whole having family visit to meet the baby. That's a separate issue. But I'm talking about someone to support you as the mom who's recovering from major surgery, who just had a baby and really just needs some help, an extra set of hands to at least get you situated in your home. And maybe just leave. Someone does not have to stay, you know? So I love the idea. A friend of mine is a postpartum doula. I think that's the most incredible thing. I know it can be pricey. I know it can be an expense. And I do like what you said. It's an investment. And I think when you do invest in things that benefit you early on, it can create better outcomes. When you start to take care of you from day one, you're much less likely to fall into postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, because you have the support in place that is curated for you. Does that make sense? <laughs> I,
0: could, I could literally cry hearing you say this because I'm like, preach. It's seriously, it's, it's my whole, guys, I have always wanted a family. It's always been something that I, that I dreamt about. I actually wanted it so deeply that I was fearful that I would not be able to conceive, truth be told. And my mom can even vouch for that. I used to tell her that and she was like, Tulsi, that's so awful. Why would you even think about that? And I think, again, it's just like, you want something so bad. It's that fear that it won't happen. And the older I got, especially, you know, I ended up having Frankie I, just before I turned 30, no joke, like two weeks before. Um, I was really surrounded by a lot of people who were just having kids or who were pregnant. Or again, my social feeds were just like algorithms were coming in hot with like all this like postpartum stuff and pregnancy stuff. And I was like, guys, this doesn't sound great. Like it doesn't <laughs> like, they, there's all this like negative connotation of being pregnant and uncomfortable. And again, the lack of sleep and, um, just like food aversion nausea. I know you went through that. So I, yeah, you no know, problem. like, um, <laughs> But there's all there's all this stuff, right? And I think that it is important for us to be able to share that because it is an integral part of the healing process, the acceptance process, the processing of it, right? And and then there was also a very similar anecdote towards postpartum, and I think just like I say, you know, with with the birth stories, no matter what your birth story was, I do want to empower women to share it because I think again it's part of that. Um, and I also think that was quite honestly the fear that i had in hearing all of this and like also my positive padding tendencies of like there's got to be another way right. um that's what was so enticing for me to prepare for it and i do believe i i still experience challenge i still cried over getting nipple balm on my shirt. And that was ruined for like a day. You know what I mean? And then like cried when it was my idea, but Colin took Frankie on her first walk around the neighborhood. And I decided to stay home. Like, I was like, Oh no, go have fun. He's like, babe, I don't have to go. It's okay. I'm like, it's fine. My mom is like, just take the baby. You do have a bonding moment. I'll sit with her. It's like, she's okay. You know? Um, again, it's not like there weren't moments that came up like that. And I will say, I feel like my preparation is what supported me to have the experience that I had, because just as you're saying, Noelle, it's like just being aware of things and kind of like thinking about them before they actually happen. It's like Mm -hmm. another, like, you might be hearing about it when it's happening, but because you heard about it before, you're like, oh wait, hold on. It's just like, it gives you a leg up. It really does, I believe. And that's really in the essence of why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I just want more women to it to enjoy it I right uh... (laughs) Um, what
1: I what I'm hearing you say that I think we're both we both agree on is that the preparation is rather than having all this anticipatory anxiety which we do naturally by being pregnant because we have a fear of the unknown we don't know what to expect I think solving for problems before they happen is the key And that's what you're saying too. like having a plan for each of these things doesn't have to happen. Like even your birth plan may not have happened, but once you're actually in this post C-section phase and you do know you're going home, you're, you're trying to have your home set up for success. There are a few things that I would recommend as far as like the logistics of your house. Um, I think what's really key and I tell all my patients this is making sure everything's on a main level. You're not going to be up and down stairs for the first two weeks. So hopefully, and this is not always the case, not everybody lives in a home, by the way. I do, obviously, I live in New York, and I'm a very acutely aware of having worked in the city and grown up in the city. You know, we were in an apartment when I had my first baby, so it was not an, really an issue of having to go up and down to go to the bathroom or the, my bedroom or the nursery. Like, everything was one level. And so that was naturally set up for success. If you do live in a bigger home and you have to go up and down, I would try to have a little like mommy corner in your living space where you <laughs> have, if you have a recliner, great. If you have a, a rocking chair, great. If you do not, just try to have a chair that is supportive and that's not going to go flying on you because after a C-section, it needs to be sturdy. You don't want to have a spinning chair that's going to make you dizzy or at risk for falls because you do sometimes feel a little funny. You did just have major surgery. You did just have anesthesia. You want to make sure that you are aware of your surroundings and that everything is within reach. Another thing I really like in your mommy corner is to have a little caddy next to you for you, not the baby. I mean, you can have one on the other side for the baby. That's a whole nother discussion. But for mama, you want to have um, things that are going to make you more comfortable. Um, you want your phone charger there. You want your phone there. You want to have a water bottle. You want to have always have snacks because when you're again, if you are breastfeeding, if you're not, you're still going to be hungry. You're still recovering from surgery. You need to try to increase your protein intake for wound healing. So try to have little protein bars there. Anything that is quick and easy and accessible and won't go bad or spoil next to you. So like little pre-wrap things would be handy or bananas, something like that. Um in your bathroom, you're gonna want to have a little caddy too for your postpartum recovery. Um news flash, you still bleed after a c-section. Apparently, you're still shedding things out of your vagina, even though you had a c-section. Who knew? I didn't. I was a nurse, and I was like, why am I having a period or something right now? What is happening? What is coming out? Am I dying? Is this surgical emergency? Like,
0: People who also don't know this, like, I am laugh because, like, thank God someone else didn't know because I didn't realize this.
1: I didn't know. The doctor doesn't, like, tell you that usually going in because it's so well-known, apparently. But I didn't know. But they're so used to it. It's like sometimes... Because they do this every day. And as a provider, as a nurse myself, like I'm giving care to people. I see it all the time. So it's like second nature. But when my patients after a C-section are like, why do I have to wear pads? Why am I still in the mesh underwear? You didn't, the baby didn't come out that way. And I try to explain like your body doesn't realize it has surgery. So the female reproductive system is still shedding after a birth. So whether or not the baby came out through the birth canal, your body still has to, you know, release and renew and things are still going to be coming out for, I would say, probably at least a month, six weeks, sometimes up till your eight week appointment. So do not be alarmed. However, I always say this, too. If you are soaking more than three period pads in an hour, that's an emergency and your provider should have told you that when you were discharged. That, that would be a risk for what we call a hemorrhage. And again, this is something you want to keep an eye on and definitely be aware of. Um, we do not expect that. We just expect a little bit of blood. You know, every time you go to the bathroom, change your pad. That's more of a normal flow to expect.
0: Um, yeah. And I, I think really quick not to interrupt you, but if anyone listening, you know, or you know of someone who's kind of questioning, Um, If something is normal or not, I'm speaking from my own personal experience, call your provider, advocate for yourself. I know that it's like a typical six to eight week appointment, but if you think that something is not right, you call and you, you make it very clear. You need to be seen and you need to be seen by your doctor because I experienced that. And I think again, it was, it's just, it's, it's a sense of peace of mind at times. And this is something very serious. Um, so feel if you, if you're a person who needs like a permission to do something, you know, like here's your permission slip, advocate for yourself, advocate, advocate, advocate.
1: Yes. I'm a big, that's my, I'm a big
0: advocate at work. I
1: always am advocating for my patients Um, to give them a voice because when you don't know what's normal and what's not, you feel embarrassed to speak up for help and you just start to Google things. I hate Google for that. I mean, no offense, but Google is not your provider and is not your first line of defense when it comes to what's normal and what's not. Because if you go on there and you put in a search engine, your symptoms, I guarantee you're going to come up with five scary things that are going to convince you you're dying. So I would highly encourage you to, there's two resources that I would recommend. Um, one is almost every hospital, at least where I have worked and have delivered, have a warm line. That is a phone number where you can reach a postpartum nurse 24-7. So if you are a little nervous to call your provider and it's like the middle of the night, maybe start with the warm line. Call the postpartum nurse. Um, this is, again, in your first two-week period. Not going out really far. The first two week period, they are available to you because you have not seen your provider yet. After a C section, you have a two week appointment. That is where they check your surgical incision. So you wouldn't really see your provider till then. If between the birth, discharge, and home, and then that two week appointment, you're feeling confused, you're feeling um, any signs of infection or feeling. Um, any sign of baby blues or anything like that, whether it's a physical symptom, a mental symptom, you can always call the warm line and they should have that printed on your discharge packet, a number at the hospital where a postpartum nurse can give you advice, um, whether to come in or to stay home or to see your provider. And just to have someone to talk to who's educated, who literally they they know your case, they can look you up and guide you with what to do. Um, Obviously, you want to have your OB's number by heart. Some people deliver via midwife. But if you're having a C-section, it's an OB who is your provider. You had a surgery. It's a surgeon. It's your OB. You want to know that your OB is always on call. There's always someone at the office that can be reached. It may not be the one who took care of you or did your surgery. But sometimes those you know first four days while you're in the hospital, there's still an OB coming to check you every day. And it's someone in their group. So one of those doctors will get back to you and you can talk to them and they'll talk you through it. Um, but that's very important because again, after delivering via C-section, like things are so different than when you had a vaginal delivery. It's like you are the patient still, mm. not just, you know, it's not just, okay, you go home, everything's great. Like we'll see you in eight weeks or at six weeks, whatever the vaginal uh, follow-up appointment is. I think it depends on your provider. It's usually between six and eight weeks. But again, you're going to have that two week appointment with your doctor and they're going to check your wound, make sure you're healing appropriately. And if you have any concerns of postpartum depression, baby blues, any mental health concerns, that would be the time to bring it up because at that appointment, they're going to start to ask you, how are you feeling? How's it going? Are you, you know, are you thinking of thoughts of harming yourself thinking of thoughts of harming the baby because that's when it starts to creep up because the first two weeks you're so exhausted and again if you're breastfeeding if you're not you're still up all night feeding a baby you're healing from a major surgery you're isolated whether or not you have support or not no one else is going through it with you it's really like it's a big um, shift in hormones it's just a really sensitive time. So do not be afraid to speak up to your provider because at that appointment, if they can address it there, they can talk to you about getting support, whether you need, sorry, that's my car turning off, okay. <laughs> whether you need um, to see someone professionally, they have support for that. They have postpartum, obviously they have postpartum therapists. I don't know if people know about that, but that is a thing. They have mm-hmm. postpartum psychotherapists that can help you. Um, I'm actually going to have one on the show. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And they also have the option to discuss medication with you because some people do need that. Not Mm -hmm. everyone does, but some people get to such a dark place emotionally and sometimes their bonding is affected with the baby and they can't, they're so impacted by the surgery. And this is like not every case. But sometimes they need a little extra help. So they'll consider taking like an antidepressant or something like that. And your provider will have that discussion. And it doesn't have to be forever. It may just be for a little bit to get you over that hump of the hormones changing, maybe a couple months, and then you go off. So that's something to to think about and I like to talk about to all my patients because mental health is usually not discussed a ton after a C-section because there are so many things that we look out for. For your surgical recovery, that sometimes it gets missed, and it's it's a service to the mom and to the baby and to the partner because they don't may not realize
0: how much she's struggling
1: emotionally. So, yeah, um, there's a lot.
0: <laughs> no, and I so appreciate you really diving into each of those pieces. And I think one thing that I would just love to encourage, you know, especially um expecting moms to to consider, um, really include, you know, your partner or your main support in, in conversations like this. I think that's something that, you know, Colin graciously entertained my desire to, you know, take a virtual birthing course and things like that. And I think there was so much that I did not know, but especially he did not know, um, about, you know, labor and delivery, yes, but also about postpartum. And I think just broaching certain conversations, including him in conversations, whether it was with our doulas, whether it was with the OB, because um, he did join me when we met one of, you know, the couple of the OBs that potentially could be delivering. Um, and then even too, like in conversations with, you know, nurses and stuff in recovery, like I think again, as you're saying, well, like those first two days, even first couple of weeks, it's just so much is happening, and I think sometimes we, as you know, the mom, we as the one experiencing it, it's very hard for us to discern what what's happening. Um, again, because we're almost like so consumed, understandably so, with with it all. Um, but our partners, like they know us very well, and I think having that that conversation up front so your partner can feel comfortable at least having the conversation with you or even yeah. seeking support for you. Um, I think really can be a huge, a huge, um, shift, a huge game changer, or whatever. I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm trying to really get at here, but I feel, I know what I'm trying to get at. I just can't find the words. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really think it's, it is important because motherhood is so not meant to be done alone. Yeah, it's not. And I think, again, you know, it's, it's easy for us to, um, maybe even not, not want something to be true that that is true at the moment. And I think, you know, again, just remembering that it is coming from a very loving place, um, to have that support from your partner. Um, Yes, I do.
1: I would, like you said, um, regardless of what kind of delivery you're going to have, I think it's very smart to go to together with your partner to all those prenatal education classes if they are offered. During the past few years, a lot of them were virtual where they used to be in the hospital setting. Um, I've had both experiences and I really enjoyed it either way. And I think it changed a lot of my outcomes because my husband was there He's a huge reason why I ended up breastfeeding because he, after going to the breastfeeding class with me, was like so inspired and gung-ho about it. And he was the one, even though it annoyed me at the time, that was like, I think you can do this. And it ended up working out very well. But like, what does he know? You know, (laughs) but he was like, really, I think when they're empowered and educated and part of it, um, because they're not going through the pregnancy literally with you as much as they are as a support, they don't have all those experiences. So it is a way for them to feel involved. And it's a way for you to um, leverage your experience uh, by sharing some of that anticipation. Um, And I do think that will create better outcomes. Most of the time when you are at that exhausted postpartum delirium phase where you're so tired, they know how that they can help and they know how um, hopefully they can be utilized because you really want to utilize them in whatever way that means, whether that's asking them to take on some of the housework, whether that's asking them to um, prepare some of the meals or just order them. I mean, honestly, yeah. after a C-section, if anybody is offering to send you a dinner, I think the best gift you can give a postpartum mom after a C-section is a grubhub gift card or order the food for her just have it delivered to her doorstep and be like what do you want you know what what are yes. you in the mood for today and send some food because you're so tired that's the last thing you want to think about is preparing a meal when you're trying to feed a baby and take care of yourself let people help you let people drop things off if you do not feel up for visitors after a major surgery that's okay you can say, you know, maybe after the first two weeks, I'm recovering from surgery. Um, I'd love to have you come over and help or, or visit the baby. But honestly, right now, I'm just taking care of myself, getting into the routine. And that's OK. And I'm I, you shouldn't have to make excuses or really get into it more than that. Um, but don't be afraid to ask. Like if somebody who really loves you and cares about you wants to be a resource, like Let them drop off food or if you need something from the store, like there's so many delivery services now, like my sister gets everything Uber eats to her house or, you know, Grubhub or Seamless or I don't know, like if she doesn't have, if they run out of pads or something that could be delivered. You know, you don't even have to send your husband out to the store, like if you need him at home, (laughs) someone can drop that off for you. So use your resources. Don't be afraid to ask and accept help. And set yourself up for success those first two weeks. Um, and we can get into all the other stuff on our next episode. <laughs> because I have a lot more to share about the first few months after a C-section. And how it can impact breastfeeding. And um, just returning to society as a, a human being with a new baby and all that. Um, but yeah, I'm just so excited that we did this. And I cannot believe that you are launching this podcast this weekend. I'm so freaking excited. I can't believe it's happening. You're making me want to have a podcast. So
0: <laughs> I will say it is so much fun and I find myself more inspired and truly lit up to continue doing what I'm doing with each conversation And um, because I do believe it's so needed. And one thing, you know, I just want to call out before we wrap. Um, Again, I think the whole piece about really involving your partner is, is stemming right back into that, that preparation piece. And I think to include them in it is only going to be a service of you, them, and your family unit in general. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I'm so thrilled to include this in the lineup. Mm Um, and I'm very much looking forward to that follow-up conversation and really navigating those first couple of months, because as you're saying, it, it is different than a vaginal delivery. Um, and I feel like, you know, listeners are, are just feeling connected to you and want to continue to, to hear from your experience in itself. So I'm thrilled that you're willing to come back and share a little bit about that. And um, for those who did not get to hear our first conversation, how can they connect with you? Oh great. Well, I'm working <laughs> on this part. <laughs> you can
1: always email me, um, be at gmail.com. That's a good way to reach me directly. Um, I have an Instagram page, be well with Noel. It's pretty straightforward. Um, that's good for now. I am working on better ways to reach me, um, because I'm really excited about chatting further. And I would actually really love questions. Um, so maybe I need to pull some people for questions so I can sort of curate our next chat and figure out exactly what you need to know.
0: I love that. I'm actually going to, you know what, I'll make a note for myself to include a Q&A box yeah. with this episode so people who are listening can actually drop it in right there to the thread. I would so, love that. listeners, go see that spot. <laughs> Hopefully the tech gods were in our favor and it worked. <laughs> Noelle, thank you so thank you. much. Okay. Always lovely to see your face and I know we'll talk soon. Yes. Have a good okay. day. Thank you, you too. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode on the cultivate Fate with Chelsea podcast. New mamahood is truly a journey and I am so appreciative to be on it with you. Until next week, with care Chelsea.